Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We tell the stories of the pioneers and innovators building businesses in hemp across the U.S. So there's a lot of good people in the industry. We want them all in the system. And we want transactions to be easy. Uh, we want product manufacturers when they're creating a formulation and they want to buy. This week on the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast, we sit down with Chris Fonts of Hemp Exchange a business-to-business marketplace for the hemp industry with a goal to create a supply chain that you can trust to add a little more stability for producers and consumers of bulk products. If you're looking to buy or sell hemp products from hemp seed to hemp oil, you should listen up. And I'm co-host Cameron McIntosh, and this is the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Can you just first introduce yourself and just give give a little bit about your background? Certainly. Uh, my name is Chris Fonts. I'm CEO and co-founder of Hemp Exchange. Um, I have a lot of different things in my background. Uh, I think the most constant of those is uh, software engineering. I've been programming um, since I was about four. We had a Commodore 64 in the house back in the early 80s, and I had uh, this little book that had a bunch of programming, uh, little applications in it that you could hand code, and I kind of taught myself uh, with that book and that Commodore how to program BASIC. So you were the you were the Radio Shack generation then? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, uh, you know, software engineering is probably the, the most consistent um, thread through my history. Uh, but I've I've been involved in in various different types of operations and various capacities. Um, I've helped build um, customer service and operations teams with startups. Um, been a CTO, COO. Uh, I've been in the healthcare industry. Um, I've been in credit reporting um, development and and things of that nature. So I've I've kind of been around a bunch of different industries and a wide breadth of experience across multiple disciplines, uh, which I think is, I mean, I, I get bored. So <laughs> Chris, what out of all of that drew you to hemp? You know, I think I, I was talking, I was talking with my wife about this recently. I think the thing that excites me about hemp the most is it's, it's on the forefront of political change. It's on the forefront of social change. It's on the forefront of change in medicine and health. It's on the forefront of an emerging industry and business. It is front and center in a lot of different areas that excite me. So it it scratches a bunch of itches simultaneously. And I think it has, you know, it has real potential to drastically change and uplift our rural America and revitalize our farming, uh, our farming communities. Um, it has real potential to uh, provide a lot of health benefits and and get people off of op- uh, op- opioids and various other medications that they take for what ails them. Um, it has the potential to um, help our planet recover a little bit from all the damage we've done to it and are continuing to do to it. Uh, there's a green future ahead um, and, and HEP has a, a big part in that, I think. So there's there's just... It's it fixes so many problems and it and it addresses so many issues. Um, well, I mean, how could you not be excited? 
when when did uh, hemp exchange come about? Uh, hemp exchange has been was an R and D um, beginning of last year. Um, I just started working on the business model and operationally how it would function. Um, trying to work out the kinks of how can we make this viable. Uh, how can we handle the legislation and, and the legal landscape, et cetera? Um, started programming it uh, around that, a little bit later than that. But uh, it's been in R&D for a while, and it just launched publicly about six weeks ago. Um, so it, it's been a long road um, in a short amount of time, it feels like. And uh, I had a, a previous um, work acquaintance who... Um, had to kind of approach the approach the offer to me to kind of jump in in this industry and they had some ideas um we we jv'd with this company who had already been in the industry saw the need for the exchange but you know frankly were spread too thin to try to tackle it completely on their own um as as i'm sure you talk to people and you guys know firsthand there's a million different opportunities in this industry right now and it's tempting to try to tackle all of them uh, just because there's opportunity everywhere but you really you really need to streamline and focus on on one thing on one goal so you don't spread yourself too thin so that's what this this partner company did they wanted to focus on what they were doing so they brought this opportunity to my attention and said hey what do you think about this uh, with your with your background uh, your software engineering skills and your operational skills um, and with our guidance into the industry and, and network uh, we could really make something here. Um, so I was I was introduced to the opportunity, and it's been fantastic ever since. So for for those of us that that don't know, for listeners that don't know, could you tell us what exactly does Hemp Exchange do? Yeah, absolutely. So Hemp Exchange is an online marketplace uh, where uh, folks in the hemp industry can exchange bulk goods. So this is from uh, biomass, flour, crude, distillates. Uh, isolate and kind of any of the many extracted variations in between there. Uh, it's a supply chain solution that fully encompasses the the transaction of the bulk product. That includes the financial transaction and shipping. Uh, we're the first marketplace of its kind to sort of sort of figure all that out. And our ultimate goal here is just to stabilize and streamline the supply chain to facilitate the industry's growth. And where do you think the uh, supply chain is right now in the hemp industry? The supply chain's a mess right now. Um, there, there's a lot of good people out there uh, making big impacts in the supply chain and and helping uh, move things along in the right direction. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of bad players in the supply chain making things more complicated than it needs to be. Um, there's there's downright uh, fraud in the supply chain. It's pretty common right now. Um, and it's it's a kind of a system of a, I know a guy who knows a guy, and that's not really sustainable, um, nor is it scalable. So the, the supply chain is is riddled with uh, risk and uncertainty and lack of trust. And, and frankly, it's a bit like trying to score weed in high school. But millions of dollars, yeah, millions of dollars, and uh, you know, a legal product. But so that's that's kind of where it's at right now. And, and we're pushing to make some changes there. So you vet on both sides of the of the issue there? Do you vet buyers and sellers? Absolutely. So to even participate on the system, uh, I mean, step one, you need to provide a valid email address uh, that you have to verify before you can even really log in. 
once you're in the system, you can view products. You just can't really interact with anything until you've completed registration. The process of completing registration requires a photo ID and a business license. And we, we verify both of those. We verify the photo ID is accurate as far as, as best as we can with a scan. You know, we don't have a, a barcode reader. Um, but we, we verify the photo ID is real. It's not expired. We verify the business license. Uh, and the business entity exists and it's registered with the Secretary of State that they're doing business in and then that's in good standing. Uh, and then we verify that the person that submitted the photo ID and the business license are somehow tied together. Um, either the individual is listed on the business um, or they have to at least write an affidavit saying that they are authorized to do business uh, on behalf of that entity. Uh, once they're all verified, um, both buyers and sellers, we don't discriminate there. It's just it, you've got to be a business and a valid one to participate in the exchange. Um, they, they can start either listing products or bidding on products. Now, depending on where they're at and what they're trying to do, there may be additional licensure from their state ag department required for them to take those actions. Uh, for example, if you're trying to sell um, hemp that you cultivated in Oregon, you need an Oregon hemp handler's license. And we require that. We'll ask for that. Uh, you can't list the product uh, until, I mean, you can list the product, but we won't approve it until that license has been verified. So we, we have relationships with all of the different state ag departments, and we will verify, hey, this is this is the person's name on the license we have. Here's the the, the ID number or we'll send them a copy of it that we have and say, is this authentic? Uh, so they all ag licenses also get verified. Um, again, this is buyer and seller. If the if the buyer requires an ag license to make the, the type of purchase in the state they're in, and they're, then we'll, we'll require that as well. For a lister, once they are verified with their ag license, we require a proof of life, um, which is a sad thing that we have to do in this industry, but uh, you, they need to actually have product. Um, I know it's crazy to think that, but um, we have some, some IP in our software that handles us. Basically, every product listing gets a hash code. Uh, that hash code prints out a QR code. The user takes that QR code, physically puts it in front of the product, takes a picture, and sends it into us. Um, our system will scan the QR code, match it up to the product, say, okay, this is at least a picture of the QR code that we sent. Then it will go to a human for verification to say, yeah, that looks like the type of product you're trying to list. Um, and then we also require a valid third-party COA. Uh, with the COAs, again, we take, we get a copy of it, we send it to the lab that issued the COA, and we say, is this real or has this been faked somehow? And they will let us know if it's authentic or not. If it is authentic, we approve the listing. So by the time it's listed, you know it's a real business that's been verified. They have the proper licenses to do what they're doing, and the product exists, and the COAs are real. That's got to be incredibly complicated, keeping up with all the different state laws. How are you managing all that? Um, well, it's pretty much what we do all day long. <laughs> we we have a we have a legal team uh, that that spends a lot of time on this. Um, you know, we sort of boots on the ground. The non lawyers, we are. We have Google alerts. We're tracking bills as they go through different uh, houses and, and congresses. And we just try to stay on top of it. We bring everything to the attention of the legal team. Um, and sometimes they bring things to our attention. But we just work as a group to do our best to stay on top of it because it is changing rapidly. Uh, and uh, new states are, are coming online weekly. 
Um, states are changing how they how they handle this stuff uh, on a semi-regular basis. And, and it is it is quite the operation to try to stay on top of it all. How long does it take to, to vet uh, one producer, one farmer, processor? So a lot of this depends on the state they're in and uh, the the ag department. Uh, some ag departments are very quick to turn around information. Um, some of them we're on a first name basis with. Uh, we call their direct line and, you know, it's like, hey, Bob, how's it going? I got another question for you. And they're super helpful and it, and it goes really fast. Um, some departments are not so polite um, and not so eager to talk to you. Um, I think it's mostly just from a state of, of they're overwhelmed, right? They, they have not previously been in the industry. That's new legislation that passes and all of a sudden it's like, hey, Cindy, you're in charge of our hemp department. Uh, good luck with that. Here's the legislation. Read it and try to understand it. And so they just they just get a little overwhelmed with the questions. Um, I think sometimes. So, uh, but going back to your your question here about how long does it take? If they're in a state where the ag department is beneficial, I mean, generally speaking, about 20 minutes uh, during business hours. Um, so so pretty pretty fast. Same with product. Uh, product getting confirmed. If it's with a lab that basically we're just waiting on the third parties to turn around information. Our our time to during during regular business hours to grab this information and start vetting it and submitting it to the proper entities is is a 20 minutes or less generally speaking, and then it's just waiting for those entities to turn around and let us know um, if if these things are authentic and if they're properly licensed, et cetera. Um, have you vetted those labs as well? I mean, I know there's a lot of labs out there that, you know, just are pay to play. So how do you, you know, that's almost like a third entity there that you have to vet, isn't it? To some extent. And we haven't got too deep down that rabbit hole. Um, most of the labs we've seen are from larger entities uh, that are well known in the industry. Um, there have been a couple of times where we've had to dig a little bit deeper because we're like, we've never heard of this lab before. Um, and most of the time when we when we dig deep on labs that are kind of new to us that we're a little concerned about, it ends up being that the facility that's submitting the lab also owns the lab. Uh, and then we we will say, well, we, we have to have a third party test this. Um, so as far as explicitly vetting the labs themselves, we haven't gone that far yet, and it's kind of a difficult it's kind of a difficult undertaking because uh, labs they're kind of private. Um, they don't like to share their processes. They don't. I mean, they most of them barely share uh, whether or not a COA they issue is authentic or not, let alone the inner workings of how they process things. Some labs are, are much more forthcoming; others are not. So, so vetting them is is a difficult task that we haven't we haven't instituted any uh, official SOPs around doing that. And so do you recommend reputable labs to people? Um, do you provide any guidance to, you know, producers? We try not to. You know, one, one thing we don't want to get in the business of is, is picking favorites, more or less. I mean, we, I, I think there's room for us to, to have some sort of rating system where we say, yeah, this lab is really good. We know their practices, their GMP, their FDA registered, they're following this ISO and that uh, ISO, but we, we don't really want to be just like referring business to a particular lab or not um, right now. 
And there's, there's some possibility as well that we may um, either start our own lab or uh, partner up with a reputable lab um, and do our own testing of the material as it passes through um, to kind of uh, help some of those concerns. But so we, we don't recommend specific labs. There's a handful of labs I particularly favor just because of, of how they operate. Um, but we, we, you know, so if someone asks, what lab should I send it to? I'll say, well, we don't like giving recommendations, but here's a handful that we trust. So if you had to turn anyone away? Absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, in, in our system, even though we have a copy of their photo ID and their business license, 10% of, of the COAs submitted have been faked. Wow. And, um, you know, we, we do give them one opportunity. We'll call them and say, there's a problem with your COA. The lab says it's inauthentic. Where did you get this COA? Sometimes it, it's, it's, uh, it's product they've purchased that they're wholesaling. They have the product on hand. Either they don't need it or they got it for a good deal, whatever it is. Um, so sometimes we'll get COAs uh, that was from another person originally, which we'll want them to get a new COA before it moves, uh, but we'll take it as, as authentic for the listing anyway. Um, and we'll let them know, hey, this is, this is not authentic. And in some cases they'll come back, oh, um, I'm not sure what the problem with that is, but here's my COA that I got on the same product. Um, and I'm like, okay, and then we'll check that. And if it's authentic, we'll, we'll let that go. Um, but most of the time we reach out to them and say, there's a problem with your COA and they go, Oh, I don't, I don't know what happened. Let me get, let me get into this and I'll call you back. And then they just go dark on us and then we suspend their account. So once a buyer or seller is on, on the exchange, uh, can you just sort of go through the process? What, what happens then? Certainly, uh, post completing registration. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it truly or just, is it truly just a marketplace? I mean, it's, you know, if, if you want to buy something, uh, you know, you, you look and you, you, you bid on it. And if you win the bid, you, you, you purchase the product is, is that sort of how it works? Yeah, it, it's pretty streamlined. So, uh, our, our goal with the software was to make it as simple as possible to just do what you need to do and then, and then move on with your day. So once you're logged in, uh, you can go to view listings and it will show you all available products. You can use filters to narrow down what, you, what it is you're looking for. Um, you can view information about that product, quantity available, uh, how much the farmer or processor wants for the product. Uh, you can look at the COAs and look at the panels and determine, are there enough COAs here for me to feel comfortable with this purchase? Uh, do the COAs, do the profiles match what I'm trying to accomplish? Is the price right? If it all looks good to you, there's a button, click to bid. You press that button and it's going to default to the full amount of the, uh, the full quantity of the product listed and the dollar amount that the seller is looking for. You can adjust that price. It's not like an eBay where it's an auction. It starts at zero and everyone bids on it. It's more like a like Amazon, except for when it's in your cart, you have the ability to request a different price. Uh, the seller can accept or reject or counter that offer, and you can get in a countering cycle, I suppose, between buyer and seller, where they go back and forth until they find find agreeable terms. Um, but once it's once you have an accepted bid, um, that's where we require funds to be deposited in full, and then we'll schedule shipping. So as far as the software itself, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the, the most complicated portion of the entire deal is probably listing a product. 
which requires, you know, a simple form that asks you, tell us about your product and upload product pictures and COAs. Um, the, the only reason the software has taken so long as it did is just the complexity of the compliance matrix in the back end and some of the other components there that, that are kind of behind the scenes. And uh, how do you handle the, the transactions? Are you using blockchain technology or are you using, you know, PayPal? Like, how does, how does that work? Uh, we have several FDIC-backed uh, bank accounts. And the buyer actually wires funds. They have to wire funds to our bank account within 72 hours. And so we capture those funds. We verify that they, they exist. They're in our account. And then we will schedule shipping. So the, the hemp industry, the, the market is pretty volatile. Um, what sort of numbers are you seeing? Can you give, uh, lend some insight into what's, what's real and what's not? Or Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think... I think the the general cost per acre, and this isn't this isn't including new equipment you might have to buy or the lease on your land, um, but a lot of farmers will say they kind of plan for about thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars per acre in in cost uh, to to handle whether it be purchase of seed, time planting, et cetera. And that's for CBD production. Yeah. Yeah, this is for outdoor uh, hemp grown for CBD. Um, from that, um, you can get you know, between 1,500 and 2,000 plants uh, on an acre, and each plant can give you between one and two pounds. So even even going really conservative and saying you only have 1,000 plants per acre, and each plant's only yielding a pound, it's still 1,000 pounds an acre. Um, in this market right now, uh, Generally speaking, uh, $4 per CBD percent per pound is kind of how you price biomass. That goes up and that goes down, and it does so quickly uh, depending on where you're at in the season. Uh, right now, I think it's it's much higher. We're much closer to like a 450, 475, in some cases five even, as biomass is disappearing. Uh, and then in fall, you know, it'll probably be closer to like 325 or 350 as there's a flood of biomass available. Um, but, you know, if you just if you just do sort of an average of four dollars per point per pound and you're doing a thousand plants uh, per acre and you're getting about a pound per plant, uh, 40 grand an acre is an extremely conservative but very realistic number. Now, this, of course, is assuming that you successfully pull that off that you're, you don't get mold, uh, pests don't eat your crop, it uh, doesn't get wiped out by tornado, um, you don't, you know, you have a proper drying strategy and it doesn't rot out in the field. There, there's a lot of components there, obviously, to make that a success. But I think, I think anywhere between 40 and 100,000 bucks an acre is pretty reasonable um, as long as you're doing things right. That three and a half to four thousand um, dollars, does that include processing as well? The cost, the three and a half, four thousand dollar cost. I think it does. I'm certain there's farmers out there that will have a better pulse on that than I do, um, and maybe they can they can call in when they hear this podcast and correct me and, and tell me how wrong I am. But I I think uh, I think it does. I think it would be inclusive of of the processing of that material post harvest. I don't mean it's extracting. I mean drying, hang, you know, cutting, drying that sort of thing. And that's so you're saying, you know, $4 per percent. So uh, 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 a 10% test 
you know, strain would get you $40 a pound. Yeah. And I, I neglected to mention that pivotal number in my calculations there. Yeah. You know, generally, generally speaking, when you're farming, uh, when you're, when you're cultivating for CBD production, really 10% is sort of the baseline of acceptable material. Um, if you, if you're lower than 10%, uh, it's more frustrating for the processor. And so they're not going to pay as well. Um, but 10% and above is sort of the, the sweet spot, uh, 10% being the base. What's the higher, what's the higher end of that range? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I've seen material as high as 24%, um, but that's smokable flour. It's been indoor, uh, a lot of love and care went into those plants. Um, it wasn't just a, a, a outdoor grow in, in bulk. It was smaller runs indoor, a lot of time spent. Um, you know, I think generally speaking for outdoor grows, anything, anything north of 14 is really good. What is the net profit, you know, after all is said and done? I mean, I think you can count on, on the, on the really low side, 35,000 an acre, you know, assuming, assuming you've taken proper steps to mitigate the risk of losing everything that is, um, you know, I, I hesitate to talk numbers sometimes because it gets people really excited. And they jump in really fast, really deep, and then they lose everything because they didn't, you know, it's, it's new to them and they didn't, they didn't know what they didn't know. Right. Um, and there, there are times that those numbers don't quite work out like that. And I, I hate to give like false hope and have people jump out there and empty their 401ks, start farming and lose everything because they bought the wrong genetics or something. But um well, people, people who don't, don't know how to farm figure out pretty quickly that they don't know yeah, how to farm. Exactly. <laughs> I think for people that don't farm, there's this there's this idea that oh, it's not that hard. You just plant it in the ground and water it, and but that's not the case. Farmers are the hardest working people I know, and there's so much to it. And mother Mother Nature can come along and just smash everything that you've worked so hard for in 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 thirty minutes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And there's you know you can you can try to mitigate against some of that stuff, but ultimately, if Mother Nature uh, takes a swing at you, I mean, there's no dodging it. What about uh, some of the other stuff, you know, for for fiber crops or seed crops or dual crops? Yeah, good question. So personally, I'm excited about the the potential for fiber. Um, I mean, you know, seed crops for for consumption and and grain for consumption. That's really cool too. Um, and but we already have an industry there that's working. I mean, I, I think that we can source more of that stuff here in the US than we do now, but um, the the industry that doesn't exist yet that I think is is massively huge on the fiber side is, you know, textiles, um, biodiesel, bioplastics, um, wood replacement products. Um, you know, on I mean on your very show you had the gentleman that was that was working with particle board. That sort of stuff is really exciting to me. And it's something that we want to facilitate on the exchange at some point. The difficulty is the margins on that product are so slim already um, that that shipping uh, from small farm, you know, a lot of these farmers are, are doing five and 10 acres, right? It's a lot, and there's a lot more money in, in the CBD side of the plant than there is the fiber side of the plant. Um, so telling, getting farmers to say, hey, don't grow for CBD right now, grow for fiber, most of them are going to say you're crazy. I mean, there's folks out there doing it, but 
Uh, most are jumping in for the CBD side because of the numbers we just talked about. So there's maybe a potential to leverage, you know, hey, how about you shuck your plants and we'll, we'll take your stems and kind of inject them into this market um, for fiber. Um, there's a possibility there is a lot of that stuff is just rotting out in the field um, or getting burned. But the problem is now you're trying to ship five acres worth here, five acres worth there, maybe 10 acres over here. And it, the cost of shipping kind of outweighs the value of the product of what someone's willing to pay for it. So it's something that is on our radar that we want to address. We're just not exactly sure how yet. And that's something we're, we're current, literally currently investigating. How can we make this happen? Because there, there is a lot of good material out there that could do a lot of good for our country and our environment uh, that is literally just being burned away. Um, this is also counts. This also includes uh, post-extracted uh, plant material. There is a large market there uh, that is not being serviced right now uh, that we'd like to try to engage in, and and with the same intent, uh, let's get the supply chain functional. Let's get uh, the production out there. Let's help farmers make more money, and let's help um, push towards sustainability. So, where and how does Hemp Exchange monetize these transactions? Uh, so the, the only way we monetize them is during the actual transaction. Uh, we have a transaction fee um, that takes place during the exchange of the dollars. Um, and we're fully transparent with that. There's no hidden surprises. The total fee is 6%, but it's split evenly between buyer and seller. So the buyer will pay 3% and the seller will pay 3%. And when you place a bid... That's, that's pretty clean. Yeah, we one, we want to remain uh, neutral. Uh, we don't want to have more skin in the game on one side versus the other because we don't want to play favorites. Um, and, and we don't want to be seen as playing favorites in case there's a, any issues with arbitration or something like that. Um, but, you know, more importantly, we're not trying to get rich off of off these fees. We're just trying to provide a service that works. And um, splitting it down the middle seems very fair, and it makes it more palatable on both sides. Right, paying three percent is pretty low. Um, in fact, some sometimes you pay that in your credit card fees. Right, that's that's pretty much it. So three percent on the buyer side, three percent on the seller side. Uh, for shipping, there is a, a separate shipping fee. Uh, for biomass, we charge three percent uh, for shipping, and again, split down the middle. So as a buyer, you're paying a three percent transaction fee, one and a half percent shipping fee. So you're out the door for less than five percent. Um, same on the seller side. For extracted material, we only charge 1% uh, for shipping and again, split down the middle. So if you're buying extracted material, you're out the door for 3.5%. And is that because you guys handle the shipping? I'm sorry if I missed that. Yeah, we absolutely handle the shipping. Um, part, of our, part of our value here is that uh, you basically log into a website, know that the product is real, place your bid, pay for it, and then it shows up at your door. Um, our, we have a third party logistics partner who has a $2 million hemp specific cargo policy that's per conveyance. Um, I believe it's fairly unique, uh, if not the only one in the country, uh, the, the cargo policy that is, um, and we, we rely on that heavily, uh, for safe transport. Additionally, this, this third party company, um, is very on top of current legislation and they will route around states that are not so nice like Idaho and they will communicate with other states before they before they enter the state 
and they're just really good at what they do. And we know that if we use them, that the transaction is going to complete successfully. Whereas if we say, yeah, Mr. Buyer, go ahead and pick it up on your own. We can't really control how that happens. Um, and lack of control means uh, we can't guarantee a smooth tra uh, transaction and we lose our promise to our clients. So we handle the financial transaction and the shipping. And it's free to list? It is 100% free to list. There's no fee uh, to sign up. There's no fee to list. There's no fee to browse. Um, it's, it's just on the transaction. You know, Hemp Exchange has, has only been active for what you said, six weeks? Mm -hmm, about six weeks. How many how many people are on Hemp Exchange? What sort of traffic have, have you seen over the over the last six weeks and you know where do you want hemp exchange to go in the, in uh, 2019 so we have about 300 users on the system already uh, and about nine million dollars worth of product on the system um, and we're acquiring more users and more product uh, literally every day every morning we come into the office there's about five more users on the system and one to two more products listed uh, some days are heavier than others uh, we see obviously a huge jump uh, after we attend a conference. Um, we're still so new that not everyone knows we exist. And it's kind of a hard market to get a lot of exposure in unless you're going to these conferences. Um, you, can't, you, can't, you can't advertise on Google AdWords. You can't advertise on Facebook for paid ads. You can't advertise on Bing. Um, so a lot of the, the more traditional, let's say non-hemp industry methodologies for promoting your business and getting out in front of people aren't available. And this is, you know, this isn't just hemp, this is cannabis across the board right now. Um, so because of that, it's uh, word of mouth and it's conferences um, and it's uh, talking to uh, people who know people who give you an email address and say, Hey, my buddy's interested, send him an email and let him know what you do. Uh, so we, we see massive upticks in user adoption post-conference. Uh, we see upticks whenever there's a new article release that we're in. Uh, so as word gets out, people are signing up quickly. Um, and that's as far as the future, that's what we continue, uh, what we hope um, continues. We want to provide them the tools where they can just look at what they want, what fits their, their formulation, click, click to buy, and it shows up at their door and they know they can buy that same thing again next time. Um, we want farmers to be able to trust that, uh, you know, post-harvest, I'm going to process my material, put it in totes and list it on the exchange and someone's gonna buy it and it's just, they're just gonna come pick it up and I can trust in that. Uh, we, we really want this supply chain to just function in a very smooth manner. And I think that's, you know, that's one of our, our biggest goals. Any obstacles right now that you're working through? Um, yeah, the, the cannabis industry is just nothing but obstacles, pretty much. Current obstacles is understanding and identifying product manufacturers that are interested in CBD. It's, it's hard to find them. It's not like, one, you can't advertise for it, right? So you can't do Google ads and try to catch them when they're searching for solutions. Um, and two, it's not like, you know, a CBD processor or an extraction facility advertises themselves as an extraction facility. They're registered with their state. Um, they're easy to find. Cultivators, same thing. Uh, most of them have websites. They, they talk about their, the fact that they farm for biomass. They're registered with the state. You can identify and reach out to these people and let them know you exist. Product manufacturers, however, there's a million of them. And 
there's no way to identify directly and easily which product manufacturers are interested in CBD as an ingredient and which ones aren't. Um, so it's literally a method of just being at conferences like the, uh, the food ingredient shows um, and word of mouth and picking up the phone and just calling a product manufacturer or a contract or a contract manufacturer and say, hey, do you have any formulations that use CBD? Are you interested in CBD as an ingredient in the future? And educating them about how they can purchase. Um, I think one of the biggest ways we can reach them is education. And so that's the other obstacle we face right now is just time to create educational content that matters to those folks uh, to, to be of service to them. Um, so yeah, reaching product manufacturers is probably our, our biggest obstacle. Second biggest obstacle is we have a couple of states that are making it very difficult for us to verify ag licenses. Um, and just working through that, uh, just the manual process there is, is time consuming. Uh, and then verifying, uh, the, you brought it up earlier, verifying that labs are uh, good quality labs and authentic and doing things right. That's difficult and time consuming. So we have to crack that nut as well. So there's still a couple of big obstacles there, but uh, once we crack all three of those, I think we'll be in, in a really good shape. And then it's just sort of ride the wave of legislation changes and, and react appropriately. And so what about um, warehousing and shelf life of biomass and, and extracts? Is that an issue that you've had to kind of navigate around yet? Not much. Um, we require a COA within 30 days of transport. So Let's say someone lists product on the system and they give us a COA and we know that it's at least legal product and we can say this is the CBD percent that's in there according to this lab result. Uh, and then it, it sits on the market for let's say 60 days. Um, and then uh, it finally moves, someone finally buys it. And uh, we will have to get a new COA that's within 30 days of that transportation. So as far as product degrading, um, it, you know, obviously it does happen, but we, we kind of cover that by requiring a recent COA so the buyer knows what they're getting into. Now, yeah, so if you sell something and it's been sitting for 60 days, you have to get it retested for that buyer. Correct. Okay. Yep, that's correct. So we, we like to ask, ask this question to a lot of the people that we interview. Um, if you can imagine any product made of hemp, what, what would it be? I, there, there's there's two things specifically that I would love to have made of hemp, and this is this isn't uh, saving the planet per se, as it is just like selfishly awesome. Um, I would love a fully custom tailored suit that is primarily hemp uh, hemp based. There you go. Um, I know I know some of those do exist, um, but frankly, the, the locations that say they have it, um, they look a little shady, and I'm not really sure it's probably just cotton that they're saying is hemp. <laughs> um, so I'd love to find a, a reputable tailor or a manufacturer. It's like, yeah, we definitely make hemp suits. Um, I would buy one for sure. Um, I would love my flooring in my house to be all hemp based. I think it'd be super cool to have a really nice quality wood floor, but it's all actually made out of hemp. Um, and then maybe, maybe the third, the third item here, uh, that's a little less selfish and a little more altruistic, uh, would be, um, a, a gasoline replacement. Um, you know, but, but made out of hemp. I think that would be a huge win. That's awesome. Um, and I guess lastly, um, you know, any advice for, for hemp entrepreneurs out there? Yeah. You know, going back to our earlier conversation, 
uh, I think it's, it is super easy to drown with opportunity. And that's, that's the biggest thing you need to guard yourself against is not spreading yourself too thin and trying to tackle on too much. Um, I, I think the, the methodology for engaging in this industry starts with education. Educate yourself about the plant, about the processing, about the buyers of that, where it's going, how people are using it, uh, the current legal landscape. Wrap your head around the industry in its entirety before you decide what you want to do in there. After you have educated yourself, you're going to be naturally drawn to one section of it or another. And you may have past experience which could solve a problem in one section of the industry or another. I think matching passion, experience, and education is how you can really hone down what it is you want to get involved with uh, when jumping into the cannabis industry in general. Um, and I think I think it's you know just just don't don't get too excited and go I'm just going to farm because there's a lot of money there. Okay, well have you ever been outside more than an hour in your life? <laughs> if not, farming probably not for you. Um, you know, I, I think just just keep those things in mind when deciding how to jump in. But there's there is so much room. Um, you know, people talk about um, the competition in this industry, and there is some, but there really doesn't need to be right now. Uh, everyone can work side by side. There's so much room for growth, so much room for innovation, so much room for um, people that are doing the same thing. Um, the market is just growing really quick and find something you're passionate about and jump right in. That's great advice, man. We, we really appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time, Chris. Um, you know, if there's, if you have anything else that you wanted to add or say, um, you know, maybe, maybe tell listeners how to uh, get in touch and how to sign up for hemp exchange. Yeah, um, absolutely. If you're interested, uh, you can just go to our website, hempexchange.com. Uh, all the information to jump on board and engage with us is there. You can email info at hempexchange.com as well if you have any generic questions. If you're in the supply chain, go get signed up today and, and we'll verify you and uh, get you set up. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chris and his insight into his new business-to-business marketplace of hemp products. If you haven't already, check it out at hempexchange.com. Please like, share, and subscribe to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We are your weekly dose of hemp industry enlightenment, and we look forward to hearing from entrepreneurs in the future who are inspired by what they heard. And if you're listening and are a hemp entrepreneur, please reach out and get in touch with us. We'd love to tell your story.